0: All right, form them waveforms.
1: That's what we do here. We form waveforms. That is our chief export. The chief export of the Sad Boys Book Club is waveforms.
0: Oh, uh, waveformy senpai.
1: Waveforms and knowledge.
0: Knowledgeable or opinions,
1: reviews. This is that's kind of what this is, right? It's it's that that's why we we can do this. It's it's a it's essentially a review, and it's a little bit. It's, t- it's poorly done uh, academic criticism mixed with a good old-fashioned review.
0: Yeah, it's a review for the layman, for people like us who are not academically inclined, like the various um, scholars referenced in the footnotes of the house of leaves many of which i'm confident don't exist and even if they do exist i would tell them to maybe go outside and get some air because their farts do not smell as good as they think they do
1: fair enough yeah it's you know that's kind of what it is it's 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 a group but it's it's two people two guys who are um rebuilding their brains after uh two decades plus of internet exposure yeah. that's that's basically what this this whole thing is.
0: yeah and with that welcome to uh, the Sad Boys Book Club. Uh, my name's Dusty and I'm Daniel and this is uh, gonna be our final episode on the House of leaves. Thank Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think I think it's uncomfortable saying that um, you know I, I I definitely enjoyed this book. I guess I'll go ahead and just do this here at the top. I definitely enjoyed it, but there are aspects of it. That I I felt maybe overstayed their welcome, and by proxy, kind of gave the book a little bit of. Um, well, I don't know. I I it made I think it impacted uh, my enjoyment of the book. Although you know, as I said again, you know up up top, th- I am. I, this is this is kind of an experiment to rebuild my brain of sorts after two decades of of. Uh, Internet exposure and not and at least a decade of not serious um, like nose to the grindstone. Like I'm, am, I am like really reading. So I think there's a lot of things that if I feel like if I had been sharper, if I was more ready to like get into like serious kind of like literary stuff. See. So exactly what I'm talking about. If I was like really ready to like do some serious heavy literary analysis, I think I probably would have enjoyed aspects of it more. But I think on the whole, it it still tells, I, I guess, two two compelling stories um, that kind of intersect.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Since we're starting with uh, our our just global review of the book as a whole, uh, which I which I think is a good idea. Uh, i'm a I'm gonna just throw a number on this and I'm gonna give this book a straight seven out of ten uh I liked it uh i I'm one of those people where I know for a lot of publications and a lot of review sites and whatnot you see a number like a seven and you think um oh, mediocre to bad and anything under a seven is just awful I am firmly of the opinion that an average by the numbers not good not bad just milk toast middle-of-the-road anything is a 5 out of 10. Right in the middle of the score. So when I say a 7 out of 10, uh, I mean that it's good, but it is a questionable recommendation. It's very much a, I would recommend this if I feel like this is up your alley. Otherwise, take it for what you will. This is exactly where I place American Psycho as well.
1: I think that's very fair. This is one... Like... This is one that I would find hard to uh to recommend to i uh, it would have to be a very particular kind of person um or at at the very least someone that is very very bookish or is very into. like i would say if I still had friends in grad school um that i maybe they might get a kick out of it you know like they or they they can kind of get a a little bit of a chuckle at the 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 satire of uh Academic criticism that we're seeing here, um, I think it's it's definitely something that's for that crowd. I bet they would they would find that uh, I mean I, and I found it amusing as well, but they would definitely because it's their world they would find uh, more they would they would be able to get more from that I would say
0: yeah, which real quick, I want to throw a, a small little shout out real quick to um, my friend Cammy, who uh, recently acquired a copy of this book. And may or may not start reading it in the not not in the immediate future, but in the soon to be future. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit, and she's uh, she's following the podcast, but not um, hasn't listened to it yet because she does intend on reading the book. So, if she does eventually listen to the podcast after reading the book, hello, Cammy. I hope you enjoyed the book or didn't enjoy the book. I'm sure I will already know your thoughts on it by <laughs> this point uh, through you telling me your thoughts on it. Um. Yeah. See,
1: and that. And that's and that's why this is uh, this why this that's why this is a good podcast and why publishers shouldn't come after us because see that's one sale already I mean come on yeah but I I, I feel like
0: and I I don't want to say this because I'm going from the last book I finished to the most recent book I finished. I feel like it really is an apt comparison to compare this book to something like American Psycho. Obviously, not because of the genre; these are two completely different books in terms of like format and uh, content. But they both fall into that line of satire, like you were saying, with um, it being literary satire, and <laughs> with American Psycho being a more of like a consumerism satire. Whereas with this book, you get thirteen pages talking about echoes. You get um, these these Really long uh, rants about not rants. I shouldn't say rants. You get these long referential pieces. Yes. Passages. Yeah, passages that works too. Uh, where it's it's and so and so had to say about this, and then they just have an entire paragraph that I imagine if you are part of these academic circles makes perfect sense to you, but someone like me who is a college dropout just stares at it and is like, these are words. These are very much words compiled in an order that makes a sentence, but I have no fucking clue what you're saying, so I'm just going to move on and just hope that the rest of the story makes sense, which it did for the records. So you get like moments like that, and I would compare that similarly to the snippets in American Psycho where you have Patrick just going on and on and on and on talking about what everyone's wearing, which I don't know fashion. I especially don't know fashion in the late 80s and early 90s. So I've been told that if you actually put these outfits together everyone would look like a clown because nothing matches everything clashes and it's just ridiculous outfit combinations. But that's the joke if you're if you're aware of fashion and if you're not it's just you know it's just it's pages and pages of just descriptors of oh the Jean Paul Gaultier vest on my uh I'm now forgetting all the names of of designer clothing and whatnot because i am not into that scene but point being is it's in a similar vein to that or when you have an entire chapter that's like four pages long where he's talking about phil collins which i would argue is done better in the movie which i'd argue most of which is done better in the movie uh see
1: but i would say see but that's that's the thing you have to know what what it's about like the phil collins part or the um in the film the uh, Huey Lewis of the news discussion. That 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 kind of that worked for me because that is my my medium of choice. That is the medium that I'm, I guess, most comfortable uh, conversing about and more most knowledgeable about. So for me, those parts are like ah, that's that's good. That's funny. That's amusing. But you know, when when you don't, um, I guess when you don't have knowledge of the topic that is being discussed. The satire doesn't work, and that—that's not inherently a fault of the satire, I guess. It's—it's just—it's just one of those things that it's just unfortunate that it's just going to fall flat if—if if you're not in that intended audience.
0: Yeah, and to round it back to House of Leaves, so it doesn't sound like me just continuously talking about American Psycho again and again, which you know this—it's my favorite movie, period. Uh, so, I—I am a little predisposed towards the book, even if I give it a seven out of ten as is. But uh, in a similar vein to his long-winded discussions about clothing, about the restaurants they go to, the New York scene in the time, uh, Phil Collins, Huey Lewis, Whitney Houston, whatever, all of that, in a similar vein with that, you get the same things in House Believes with all of these academic studies, these references, and all of these analy- analyses that go into the nuance of the Navidson record even to the point to where it's really weird details. Especially, I want to say this really quickly. Uh, it is somewhat relevant, but somewhat tangential. I really do not like the narrative that is built around Karen Green at all. Not not from the not from the Navidson record, but from the referential material from people ana- ana- an- from people analyzing her. I feel like. Everybody comes off immediately wanting to make her into some villain, some whore that only exists to be the, not really necessarily the kryptonite of Navidson, but this like kind of albatross for him, where she's just this despicable, horrible human being that he's way better than he deserves so much better, and she's just a horrible bitch that cheats on him, which we do we did learn that... She actually did cheat on him for real with some fashion idiot guy, which I don't really. Whatever. There's we can go into that later if you want to, but I don't really think it's it's super super important. Yeah, she cheated on him. Whatever. Um, but I feel like there's there's this this predisposed antagonistic view against Karen that I feel like is really unfair, and it's not to so much to say that because. She she made some mistakes and she did some things that betrayed Davidson. That is very true. And I don't want to sit there and make it sound like she's some saint that deserves no criticism, whatever whatsoever. She does deserve some criticism, to be fair. But you know, she's a human. We all we all we all do dumb shit. We all make mistakes. But what you see in the Davidson record shows her to be someone who does love Davidson and care about him, despite him really doing everything he can to not receive that from her, just by the nature of who he is, which that's a different topic entirely that we can get into. But she cares and loves about... Uh, she cares and loves her children and her family in general, you know, Tom, even uh, Billy Reston, and all of this. So I feel like the Karen that we are given in the Navidson record is a flawed human who who cares. And I feel like the, the view we are given... About Karen, from these armchair philosophizers who want to sit there and paint everything with broad strokes, is this horrible woman who cheats and lies and keeps Davidson away from the things he truly loves, which I feel like is really unfair, and it just annoys me. To just, and I, I, I realize that I, I think I, I'd like to think I'm in the right of this, like this, like how I'm feeling about it is, I think. I'd like to think this is what Daniel was going for. Uh, is that Karen is more than how she
1: appears and how she is judged. So I don't hate Karen I think I think I think you're right. Um I think to a certain extent, um and there are things that we learn about her. We we learn about how how she was um sexually abused by her uh was it her father or her stepfather? I I can't. I can't recall at the moment, but I think it was her stepfather. Do you know the incident where where he was? In the well. He, she was forced to be in. Yes, forced to be in the well. Um, I think you know things and things like that, and then you know you see how people. Um, and and we sh- we should talk about this also that her uh, the way she I guess she the way she was kind of the the guardian so to speak for the uh early form of um of the Navidson record you know the, the the passage where she's kind of going around to all of these various um experts and critics and and uh stephen king somehow it work, worked is worked in there at some point yeah um, uh
0: i don't remember the context of it but also we get a return of uh anthony Kidis and kurt cobain
1: oh yes uh, yeah, yeah, that's something that it, we can we can look back. At. I know I took a, at a record of that, um, but yeah, that, I think I think she is a person that is very. Uh, she does she does love her family. She's a good person. I think the way that um, I think Danylevsky, the way he's framing um, the response to her within the world, I think is supposed to evoke that same emotion that you're feeling. That sort of like you're like wow everybody's being really weird and and misogynistic to her you know it's i think i think that's a, it's a it's a commentary on um on uh, prominent uh, women, especially how how the, the the public can and can seize um maybe more on their foibles versus how though the same the same things that in a man would not necessarily be as as broadly discussed, yeah, I, I think a perfect,
0: I think a perfect example of that does exist in the
1: book itself with
0: Delisle. because it's granted when we learn the truth of Delisle, it is it's 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 much more tragic, but with Delisle, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it to the point where I think somebody even posits that it was a mistress he had across the sea uh, when he was out doing his photojournalistic bullshit in wartime Sudan and all that. Uh, but it's it's always just kind of one of those things to where it's like a uh, you know when in Rome, it's you know, one of the things that just happens. It's like uh, he, he probably had a mistress, which even though Zapano makes it a point at some I can't remember where exactly this is, but he makes it a point to say that Davidson was always faithful to Karen. Uh, I know that there was at least some theories of impropriety on his part due to Delisle or the mm-hmm. idea of it, and it wasn't helped by the fact that he would always dodge the question or just straight ignore it when asked about her. So, But my point being is that it's just kind of seen as just another one of those things. Oh, you know, that Navidson. And then when, when with Karen, with her... Um, at the time, theoretical impropriety. It's automatically, oh, that whore. Can you believe she did that to, to Will Navidson? And then when we learn about her... T- I forgot the dude's name. I probably should probably should look up the dude's name. But it's, I don't think it's important enough to fixate on. But the fashion guy in New York, when she has her affair with him. Twice, if I remember correctly. Once before and then again after they uh, leave the house. It's just seen as this big... And it, it is definitely a moment of weakness for her. And I don't want to come across as somebody who just wants to hand wave cheating. Because cheating is... It, it's a betrayal of a relationship. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to go in with that, and it's definitely something that is a fault of her character. But I don't think it is something that is, especially given. I feel like context is important, despite the fact that cheating is cheating regardless. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's important to look at the situation and understand that. This is, for her, a moment of weakness and her scrambling to essentially find an answer or a solution, or at least anything, a way to disavow her from the house and the situation. And what Navidson was doing at the time was uh, not only unhealthy for him, but unhealthy for her. So, I can understand why I do not condone or support her actions, but I can at least understand them. So I can... Not hand wave it, but just you know, understand that Karen is a flawed character that had another moment of weakness, where she went back to the the man that she cheated on Davidson with before, and yeah, you know that's that. And even then, he he even says in his interviews, which definitely feels to me like he was trying to milk the situation, that even when they were together, she felt distant and focusing more on. Wanting to be... Like, being with him was a way for her to try and become closer to Navidson. Which I can't personally understand how how that mental gymnastic kind of works. Where cheating on him makes her closer to him in the end. But, whatever, c'est la vie. Uh, but, you know, it's just... You look at the, the, the abuse that she went through as a child. Mm-hmm. And the absolute... I don't want it, to... It's almost mental abuse... Uh, psychological abuse that she went through uh, in the house, through a the house itself, b through Davidson himself through his fixation with the house, uh, c through the Holloway team and Exploration Four and her which kind of doubles back to Navidson, uh, and how she was essentially supposed to be the anchor back in the real world, and then from and then d the fallout after the end of. Uh, Navidson returning from Exploration 4, and then the house succumbing to itself, and eventually killing Tom. All of that, I feel like... How how do you handle that? So, I don't know. I guess to wrap this up, I feel like I've spent too much time talking about Karen. I understand. I don't agree. I don't condone. I understand, Karen. And I I really... Strongly disagree with the character that is painted through the critics of the Navidson record, the fictional critics. And feel like she is a tragic character that is kind of dragged through the coals for not only her faults, but Navidson's faults as well. Like, she's supposed to carry both of them and smile. Her her fake, beautiful smile. That is perfectly symmetrical or whatever uh, whatever the whole thing he goes into about it, the, the the perfectness of her smile when she was a model. All of that. And I, I think... I don't want to go as far as to say Karen is... I, I don't think she's my favorite character in the Navidson record. But I think she is the most interesting character in the Navidson record. Because you get two different stories being told side by side inside of House of Leaves about who she is and who she appears to be and I think it is it's really well done but it also just kind of makes me angry because it does it does kind of feel like it bleeds a little bit of misogyny in the form of the critics even the female critics where it's I, I don't know I, I feel like I'm kind of rambling at this point so I guess I'm just gonna I'm gonna end it there and say I thought Karen was a, a beautifully written character that had that felt very real very human and yeah anyways.
1: No, I think I think that was very good. I mean, I I agree with all of that. I think I think uh Karen is I think in a lot of ways she is kind of a key to understanding um The House of Leaves as a text, you know. She she kind of exemplifies and this is something that I've hit on a couple times, but it's this idea of of um I think in some some ways the house is a metaphor um, and the hallways are a metaphor for, you know what happens to traumatized people, you know, and how it it creates these um, these facets and these you know these this darkness and this emptiness within them that is very kind of inaccessible and it, it kind of it kind of just lingers is is this hidden uh, dimension within within someone. And I think I think Karen, um, especially, I mean, I don't know. We, I, we, we can get to the plot summary or not that we'd really usually do a, a strict plot summary, but we, we can kind of get into this a little bit again later. But I think one of the things that is, is like how, how she finds Davidson, and, and their moment, you know, after as, as they're reunited, I, I think that that, section. that is a very, um, that is a very poignant moment, and a very beautiful moment, in, in a way. Like they, in, in their, they they are both these broken people. You know, Davidson, broken in his own way. You know, has, has always sort of, um, I guess, seeking approval from a parent, from an absent, or not maybe not absent, but a narcissistic parent figure that he he uh, that void that he was never able to fill. He was kind of lost in it, and I think that last journey. Um, of his into the house, uh, especially, uh, because it was in, in part in a reaction to like feelings of inadequacy that he felt because, uh, Tom, who society would have deemed to be kind of like this, uh, you know, lackadaisical figure, this, this, you know, coward, this failure, um, he, you know, he, Tom sacrifices his life, um, to To protect Daisy, you know, to skip, to save Daisy from uh, from the the house at, the, at that point. Um, this was after they the the extraction of uh, of the Holloway team or the remnants of the Holloway team, rather. And they're you know they're leaving, and this the house is you know reacting in some sort of way to it seems like to to destroy and kill them. Um, I, I think that it, I don't really know how the how or why it is choosing to do that. Um, but it is clear in that moment that it is trying to kill them. And so he, he, uh, he sacrifices his life to, uh, to free Daisy and to, to get her out of the house. But, and, and in so doing, um, obviously that is a, you know, a, a heroic and selfless action. And Navidson is grateful for it, but also it creates in him this sense of um, inadequacy. He's like, you know what, my my brother, you know, he sacrificed himself to save my daughter, and, and where was I? You know, he, he was like, I I didn't do that. He, you know, so it was, and I think that really stuck with him. And you can see that in his conversations with, um, or it was kind of, kind of like in a um, Hemingway-esque um, iceberg theory kind of way. You you see you see that the, the the sort of it it looms in like all of his interactions that we see after Karen takes the kids and goes back to New York, all of his interactions with um, with Reston, um, his re- interactions with uh, with Karen because you know they do they do uh, communicate a bit, and and then ultimately and his choice to uh, return to the house it's 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 a form of. Um, Seeking atonement of seeking being worthy you know and so and that it drives him into this obsession that that is governed really his whole life up to that point right that 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 search of um, doing doing something of note something of import so you know and his obsession takes him into the house and you know he so in in his, in his his failure to be able to escape the house, you know, I think, and and uh, Karen meeting him in that moment, and then their their mutual sort of their love and their their bond, their closeness, that being the thing that brings Navidson out of the house and uh, and Karen out of the house because she she goes to find Navidson. Um, I think that is that is kind of like the. Um, the, the thesis I guess of sorts of of the House of Leaves is, is it kind of it, it epitomizes everything it epitomizes like the the negative the id the the negative self that exists within everybody the trauma etc and and how that is transcended they are they're able to escape from that darkness that cold that that oppressiveness through their their mutual love but yeah. I think I think that's I I think that's really just like that's what House of Leaves kind of is. It's it's a lot of things. It's it's an academic satire. It's a little bit of a horror novel. Um a psychological horror novel, I guess. But I think at its heart it there is a there is a at least within the the course of the the Navidson record. We c- we could talk a little bit about Johnny as well, uh, if you'd like, but i i the, the the point of the Navidson record is it is in a certain way a love story yeah i think I
0: think the most important takeaway, at least thematically, is um, I guess the strength of the bond between Karen and Navidson and how even through something as traumatic as the house on Ashtree Lane, which threatened to destroy their marriage, and, well, not marriage, their relationship, they weren't married yet, which it did for the better part of a year, it also ultimately brought them closer than ever, which ended up leaving them finally getting married, officially. And having, as as Zapano calls it, the closest thing they have to a happily ever after even though Navidson is horribly disfigured from Exploration Five, so yeah, I think that is a, an important takeaway. Which I, I do got to say, the story of the Navidson record is is really good. I loved it. I, I thought it was it was a real page turner when it was focusing on it. When you got off onto all of this literary bullshit of as so and so claimed in their article about this, and then all of that just blurb of, and I think the analysis of this is that, and then all of the weird kind of pseudo intellectual things that Zapano would get into, it, it, it was a, it was a pace killer for me personally, and eventually it just kind of made it to where I just I stopped caring, not about the Navidson record, but just about that particular section of the book but the navidson record itself the story that it was told the story of will Navidson and the house on Ashtree Lane was great I loved it I thought it was fantastic I don't have a point I just i, I don't know i'm just I'm just praising it right now I guess is, is 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 my point so yeah I loved the way that it ended i I felt very satisfied uh i I liked i i i one thing I will give Danielewski is he is able to vividly paint the image of what we're seeing, which, I mean, this this is praise you would give to any competent writer. You read the book, and you can vividly imagine what's happening. That's that's just a sign of a good author, period. But with the Navidson Record in particular, since so much of it is shrouded in literal darkness, and metaphorical darkness too, the ability to just so finely crafted to where at no point do i not feel like i have such a vivid imagination of what i'm reading and how it looks and i'm able to just really kind of feel like i'm there in the moment watching this film quote-unquote watching this film with navidson i don't know i just think it was it was really cool i i loved the writing even if i hated some of the prose
1: no, we we definitely have to give Danilevsky quite a bit of credit here for uh, definitely in his his descriptions of things. I think he is a uh, I, like you say that there there is a certain sort of baseline competency that you are expecting when you're reading something that's been professionally written and published and edited and all that. But I think there is a certain richness in Danilevsky's descriptions, like he's able to make this what should be a very um i'm going to be honest and say uninteresting kind of mental image of like it's a dark hallway you know and he's able to to describe it in such a way that it is it is very fascinating you know you know and he's able to to give a lot of texture to a space that he does he describes as you know, largely very samey. You know, and he does it in various ways. Like his, like, um, like during Davidson's um, solo exploration, he does a great job of uh, he does his his um, post uh, his postmodernist thing about how he's using the words to create a sense of things um, in in a, in a literal sense. Like, so it said he when it was talking about him entering entering that hallway that hallway and he though he's creating a hallway like with putting arranging the words and he's talking about hey you know navidson after you know squeezing through and crawling through this tightening kind of area and the prose kind of or the the words on the page kind of start to compress and then there's fewer and fewer on them i think he does a really good job of like you know, not not just the the descriptions in his in his actual written work, but he just does a great job of really putting you there. And uh, I think he de- definitely deserves a lot of credit. That that would be the basis of a lot of my recommendation of the book to someone.
0: Yeah, it it's something that is. I, I want to say it's it's greater than the sum of its parts. But if you look at its parts individually, you get. An at best mixed bag. But when you look at it as a whole, it's just... It's nothing short of, honestly, just impressive.
1: It is definitely uh, one of the most impressive books I've read, I would say.
0: Yeah, for a book that, after finishing it, my thought process was... I don't ever want to read this again. (laughs) I don't feel like any other book I would leave with that mentality... I would feel this positively about despite the fact that my overall view on this book is very mixed I still feel like it was a very positive experience even if I could go as far as to say there's at least 15 to 20 percent of this book that I just straight-up hated so it's 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 very it's interesting I don't really think there exists a book quite like this it's, I, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's such an anomaly for me. And maybe it's because I'm not quite the learned person that I thought I was or pretended to be when I was a teenager or in my early 20s. Like, I, I, I don't know. Since most of my literary past has evolved, uh, not, not evolved, has revolved around mostly sci-fi fantasy fiction, you know, I grew up on shit like Harry Potter, Aragon, Lord of the Rings, and as I matured, it became things like The Witcher or Stephen King. So there's a lot of. Granted, I'm not trying to say that these are necessarily childish or immature novels to read. It's definitely more along the line of entertainment fantasy, uh, entertainment fiction, and mm-hmm. not literary fiction. I've never been one for a literary fiction. I've, I've never really tried but I just don't think I'm I don't want to say I don't think I'm smart enough because I don't think it's a question of intelligence I think it's a question of prior knowledge and motivation and persistence. At mm-hmm. least that's my understanding as someone who hasn't really read literary fiction. Because you you kind of depending on the book you're reading, I, f- I feel like you kind of have to go in prepared for what it's covering so you're not just doing like I'm doing when I'm looking at these and so and so said this about the Navidson record where I'm just staring at it and I'm just like this is nonsense which it may not be nonsense to someone who's more learned than than I am but for me it's just nonsense and I'm just like yeah okay cool moving on so that's why I've never really tried to approach literary fiction so a book like House of Leaves was very very out of my wheelhouse to say the least but it was, I don't know, I don't see myself suddenly becoming an avid literary fiction reader. But I do appreciate this book for what it is. And, man,
1: I don't know. Well, well speaking of, uh, of Stephen King and that, that kind of thing about uh, the, the distinction between genre fiction and, and literary fiction... I thought I thought that this this was kind of a, an interesting passage where he is quoting a fictionalized Stephen King um, this this comes from the portion um, what others have thought uh, of the Navidson record where the, the part where where Kay, where Karen is uh, she's shopping around the Navidson record she's trying to get some opinions on it um, this is this is a part of her conversation with Stephen King um, where King says symbol schmimbles. Sure, they're important, but, uh, well, look at Ahab's whale. Now, there's a great symbol. Some say it stands for God, meaning, and purpose. Others say it stands for purposelessness and the void. But what we sometimes forget is that Ahab's whale was also just a whale. So I, I think there's... The, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious at what what uh, Danielewski is is saying there. Is he is that like a little bit of a jab at Stephen King? Is that kind of like a, a jab at... Um, like, more traditional genre fiction, you know.
0: Uh, I took that more as a... Um, I, I don't think it's so much a dig at Stephen King, more so as it's a dig at people that overanalyze. Because, like you said, yeah, there's a lot of metaphors you can take from the white whale and even Ahab and Ishmael and all that. But, at the end of the day, it's also... It, it, you have to stop looking so metaphorically and also look literally as well. And while the whale may symbolize a lot of things for Ahab, it's also just a whale. Like I, I don't think it's so much critique on on Stephen King as more so it's a critique on people just being overly analytical and trying to put deeper meaning to something that just simply doesn't exist.
1: Could be, and that that could be um, he could be very correct in that in his because uh, so, that that it comes into uh, that was his analysis of the footage. And of the uh, the house, there may that may just be um, the best way to look at the existence of the house, which is never uh, at any point during the novel really uh, fully elucidated. Um, it's just this ha- the house. It is the unknown and perhaps the unknowable. You know, it it, it we we see um, it go the. It, Existence of the house uh, dates back to the, the some of the Jamestown uh, colonists. Yeah, even uh, found the house, which I thought was an interesting thing, and and I would kind of want to talk about a little bit whenever we we uh, circle back to Johnny. Um, but it, it represents something that is, um, so obviously you know it predates. The, the 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 lives of the, all the humans concerned here and the the united states um i think that was kind of a um a way to to kind of i guess for an american audience kind of be like but look i mean look seriously how old this house is it, it's it's so old and ancient i mean i i feel like uh, my my question is, you know, I'm sure the, the 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 natives of the region must have encountered the house in some way, you know, and I'm sure a lot of um, our our Icelandic viewers and our other European friends would say, um, you know, oh, you know, 1600s, oh, uh, that's not really that old. So I, I guess it's kind of it's I I guess my 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 question becomes then it's like I think. He's trying to hint at the ancientness and unknowability of the house but it is it's difficult um, within the context that he has um, and the the context of the the characters and the settings to really um, establish um, a, a knowable basis for the house if that makes sense yeah uh, but yeah but i in um this is my my last little bit. I'm maybe we'll we'll go back to Karen because this is a, a decidedly pro pro uh, Karen Green podcast. Um, the I w- the one thing that I gave gave me a little bit of um, pause was how weirdly flirtatious uh, a lot of the people that Karen was trying to uh, to talk to about the house were, and I think you know that 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 is another little aspect of that I think Danilevsky is trying to um to bring to light there is like she's they're having a hard time taking her seriously because of of their their feelings towards her in the in terms of like their their uh, romantic attraction or physical attraction uh so she's not re- they're not really taking her seriously although i would i would like to point out um Stephen King is one of the characters that is in that portion that I think does not come off as a creep. So yeah. I guess maybe maybe that's uh, one thing that's... Maybe that's another reason why uh, maybe you are right in that Danielewski is not really taking a dig at Stephen King there because I think he is one of the few uh, figures there that comes off in a positive light.
0: Yeah, as a fan of King, uh, both. As uh, uh, a fan of his work and a fan of what I understand of him as a person, uh, I, I found that a little, a little funny. I, I felt very I, when I was reading those sections. I, I could absolutely believe that this was something that Stephen King actually said. So credit to Danielewski for that.
1: He did a really good job of capturing King's voice. If you've heard him in like uh, like interviews and that thing, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's um. I don't know. I I guess it's it's something that you can kind of say is a credit to this this novel that we've been sitting here talking for well over half an hour now, purely about conceptual ideas behind this book, themes, metaphors, what have you, and we've barely touched on anything that even remarkably involves plot, because you know this is a book that it's not the longest book, despite the fact that. This copy has, what is it, like 709 pages, which, to be fair, I would argue that this novel actually has 528 pages. The
1: last numbered page is 709, you are correct.
0: Yeah, so the last numbered page is 709, but I would argue that that the novel House of Leaves ends on page 528. But even despite that, realistically, this book is somewhere in the ballpark of, like, 300 to 350 pages just as a pure estimate, just going off of how many pages are just not full pages. Maybe maybe even <laughs> less than that. I don't know. It, this is pure conjecture. There are a decent number of pages that are... A uh, d- decent number of chapters, rather, that are 15 to 30 plus pages and they're all full pages. So, it's it's this is all rough estimates. But anyways, my point being is for a book that honestly is not near as long as it appears it is very dense there is so much to take from it to read into and probably overanalyze i I have to wonder if part of what danielewski was trying to do was turn the readers into those critics that he
1: is i would go as far as to say lampooning with i think he's trying to turn them into johnny's not in a, not in the like a, the fullness of turning them into Johnny, but like, you know what I mean. Turn them into Johnny in the sense that they're they're really digging down and they're they're cross checking these things. You know, because I think a lot of the the critics, as you as you point out, a lot of what they're saying, I'm, I'm I would go so far as to say is nonsense, or in many cases is deliberately missing the point, or Or not seeing the forest for the trees. You know?
0: Yeah. So, I feel like there really is a lot to take away about this book. And I do understand now, having finished it, why it has such a strong legacy 22 years later. Uh, Both, or I guess almost 23 years now. Uh, Like, both through the internet and through literary channels. It's just, uh, it's it's just we I don't know what what to really how to really classify this book. It's just it's just such a strange book, and it's enthralling and frustrating and really good and really bad, and it's just so many things all at once that it almost just kind of feels like I don't want to sit here and try and get all like pseudo intellectual, but it almost feels like an almost allegory for just kind of how messy life as a whole is it's it's mm-hmm. very much an extreme because we have the the supernatural extreme of the Navidson record but it's also a tale about uh, a struggling relationship going hitting its rock bottom and rising from that and becoming stronger than it's ever been and then we also have on the other side of that coin the giant truant story which is about obsession, addiction and all of these other things that can Quite literally, ruin your life and other people's lives around you, and how it can create monsters from nothing. Ostensibly, it's—I feel like there's a lot of a lot of allegory you can take from from this book and apply it to life. And this may just be me overanalyzing it, and like I said, becoming one of those critics that I was critiquing a minute ago. But uh, I don't know. I don't know.
1: No, no. I think you're dead on. I think I think that's exactly what you are supposed to be taking from it. Or at least that is what Danielewski's original intent was supposed to be. I mean, depending on how one feels about the whole death of the author thing. But I think that was uh, Danielewski's original intent.
0: Yeah. So, really good book uh, as a whole. Very, very well written. Very well... I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it this All this right. book is is just it's it's something else is the best way I can put it. it, it it's it's hard to describe.
1: But I think I think we've covered um, the Navidson portion of this story pretty well. Uh, one one thing I would like to talk about a little bit more is what's happening with our old pal Johnny Truant, um, who we didn't really talk a lot about uh, last time because that was when the the Navidson record was really heating up but um i think this story the story of house of leaves the the metatextual story about the the story is is kind of the story of johnny truant and the story of how he assembles the book and and how he it it is disseminated into the world
0: yeah um if if you had to to guess, would you say this book is more about Will Navidson or more about Johnny Truman?
1: It's a good question. Um, I think at its heart it is about that moment that we just talked about with uh with Navidson, with, with the Navidsons. You know, is is like this idea of of uh, of this of love and like mutual love and and this sort of overcoming that overcoming the, your your demons your your obsessions that kind of thing I think that if I'm going to if you, I think if you're gonna have any takeaway from the book that is it I think Johnny's story provides a very interesting sort of metatextual it's it's a frame story. Uh, sort of, of sorts, for uh, the Navidson record. I don't know. How, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I I, I kind of have to agree with your assertion about the frame story. I think, I do think on the surface, you're supposed to take this as a story about the documentary of the Navidson record with a kind of backseat interrupter with, with Johnny Truant but I do think that the Navidson Record is used as a bit of a a conduit to tell the deeper story of whatever the hell it is that Johnny Truant's life became. Because it's it does seem like we get a deeper, more personal and more fleshed out story with Johnny Truant than we do with the Navidson Record and I think that's just the nature of how it's how it's formatted and established
1: but it's it's the it's a writing style too it's navidson is third person omniscient uh, I, I we can question the uh how the the accuracy of the that third person omniscient narrator zampano who with occasional um uh occasional inputs from Johnny because we know that he is some in some parts tweaked what Zampano has written and we, we're not it's not always fully clear what he, which he is tweaked and uh with, with um with Johnny you're seeing everything from his perspective directly you know his feelings his emotions his obsessions you know his sensations that kind of thing
0: yeah there's a um a term for it uh let me see if I can't find it real quick because uh, there's there's a bunch of different um, categories for writing for first person, third person, and second person uh, mm-hmm. let me see if I can't either find or remember what it's called um, I can't remember specifically what it's called uh, I know there's there's different types of writing with first, second, and third person like for third person there's like thir- you said earlier third person omniscient uh, and then there's I've, I've, man, I'm, I'm now drawing a blank on all of these but there's the first-person type ones, and there's one that is the style of writing for it is done through journals. Think something like the diary.
1: Let me let me think. I, I know what that is.
0: Epistolary. Yeah, yeah that that, that that's that's it. Uh, first-person epistolary, where it's it's done through um, like journal entries. You know, something like Diary Van Frank. I think that's it's safe to say that's what we're looking at with
1: well, but. Diary of Anne Frank was an actual diary of an actual girl. Like an example of epistolary would be like Dracula.
0: Well, my my point being though is that it's it's a first person tale to told through journal entries. Like that one is not fiction, but it's still that type of its journal entries. Okay. That that, that was. That, I, I that's can my see what you mean. Um, yeah, I think that's it's safe to say that's what we're looking at with Johnny Truant's story, as opposed to the third person omniscient that we're getting through the Davidson record. But
1: yeah, I think that does that does account for the difference in, in uh, a lot of the qualities of the writing, and the, you know, it does come down to kind of the differences in that perspective.
0: Yeah, and I said this, I think, all the way back in the first episode, maybe it was the second. I don't remember; it's been a while. Uh, but I do still believe that Johnny is an unreliable narrator, and we do get we still get plenty of examples of that through him describing things that are happening only for him to say that didn't happen with things like what was it the monster coming and ripping him apart but then there was no monster and he was still intact or I, don't, I think that was one of them I, I could be confusing that with something else but then there was the one where he goes outside of his apartment and there's a truck that hits him and his only the only thing that goes through his mind is oh, it's going to total my car and then it hits his car and it hits him and all that but then there was no truck there was no damage there was no injury or later on when he's in his apartment or no he's in the hotel and this is after we are told he killed the correct me on how to say this if you know the would it be the Donsk Donsk man
1: i think it's
0: the g is is it's a hard g i I think it's
1: the g is pronounced
0: well, I'm, I'm going to trust you. Hold on, you. let me
1: let me let me look it up. Is it Gdansk? 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 That that is I, I don't even know if I Gdansk I I feel so I feel weird even saying it. Like it's, I'm just going to say Gdansk. It, it, it's a, it's I, a, and be, and be wrong. It says city
0: in Poland and uh, Google is saying Gdansk uh, or Gdansk. Let me hear it again. Okay. Gdansk. 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 I, I, I'm, I'm very sorry very any sorry. Polish person that Polish may or may the hypothetical, is, the, Schrodinger's, the Polish Schrodinger's Polish person Polish. that's listening to this. Uh, Google's telling me Gdansk. G- Gdansk? Gdansk? Uh, so that's what I'm gonna go with. Uh, the Gdansk man? Gdansk man? Uh,
1: saying that Johnny to, killed to... him? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, that was, he was the, to clarify in case someone's, in case you might, someone might have forgotten, he is, uh, uh, Kyrie's uh, boyfriend
0: Kyrie's fiance and then eventual husband Kyrie being oh, okay. the, uh, the the woman he goes to to get the German translation but then ends up having sex with her on the, the hills uh, instead uh, I almost said the Vinewood Hills because I I know Grand Theft Auto geography better than Los Angeles geography uh, and then does not get the German and then she tells the Gdansk man uh, about her impropriety and blames Johnny and Lude for it. And now he's on the warpath. Uh, for both of them, puts Lude in the hospital, and then finds Johnny. And Johnny beats the shit out of him by getting a, a cheap. Granted, the gunx man got a cheap, got a couple cheap shots in first, but still, Johnny gets the Jack Daniels bottle, cracks him over the head, and then beats him
1: senseless. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say, I don't really feel bad. Look, Johnny. Y- y- you could say he took too far, you know, almost killing him or actually killing him. If you believe depending on which version of the events you choose to believe. But I, I'm going to say, I did not feel bad for that guy at all. I mean, come on. he He's, he is, uh, he's looking for trouble and he found it. Like he, he's picking on literally the, the, the lowest rung of success of our society. A, a guy who is clearly mentally unwell and homeless. And then, you know, he, he, I don't know. I think f- I found that very. I was very. I was. I found that very distasteful. Um, the Gdańsk man.
0: Yeah, but to add to the unreli- unreliable narrator, when we first get to that section, Johnny implies that he kills the Gdańsk man, kidnaps, rapes, and kills Kyrie. Which at that point, I was just, man. I was like, man, oh, yeah. this this is... Uh, I... Johnny has gone past the deep end and has now gone into the undisplo- undiscovered, unexplored section of the ocean floor for me. Like, wow. What a drop. But then, later on, he goes back to that and instead what happens is before he actually... Because we're left on him kind of saying he gets to a point to where he stops her when she's coming at him to attack him and then he scares her, and then from there he says, this is what I did to them. But then we go back to that moment, and then it's like something made him stop, and then she leaves with the Gdansk man, and they they, they drive away. And I want to believe that that's what happened. I'm more inclined to believe that that is what happened, because that, that thing also leads to the bit where he, once again, we have a situation where he's telling us that there's people beating at the door, he has the guns ready, and they're going to bu- bust in because they knew what he did in the hotel. And then it's then there were no police or no people. There was no banging. There was no one at the door at all. Just another one of those situations where, like with the car hitting him in his car, we're told something's happened, but it's in a hallucination or just his imagination running wild. And that's actually not that's... what's going on.
1: That's one of the things that kind of made some of the Johnny sections hard for me to read because I would read, read, read and be like, wow, okay, so this is happening and then he kind of like stops short and then you, you, it feels like it, it was a whiplash effect. You know? yeah. you, you're, like, you're like, okay, well then what the heck did I just read? You know? Uh, and I
0: feel like the entirety of chapter 21 is just uh, a, a, a really it's a nice kind of summation of what you kind of get from the Johnny Truant storyline because it is done through literal journal entries, and it's jumping all around in time because it starts in what October I think, and yeah, then, it starts
1: in October. That's the incident with the Gdansk man. Yeah, and, and then, then and then it goes back.
0: Yeah, then he realizes, wait a minute, I'm forgetting things that uh, at the front of this book that were apparently months ago, and then it's back to May where it's him actually going to Virginia and trying to find the house, which is when we get into the whole Jamestown thing, where you have the settlers who apparently are using Fs instead of Ss, and they find the stairs in the woods.
1: It wasn't... They're not actually using an F. I think it's called the long S. Yeah, the editor... But but it looks like an F.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit by the editor that goes into that, um, on how it's actually a mistake on Johnny's part, when he's sitting there talking, which I do find it really funny how at that bit, Johnny on Johnny's section of the footnote, this is actually, I guess, in chapter 20, uh, in Johnny's section of the footnote, he's using F's instead of S's on a bunch of words, and I, I just thought that was just a really funny, petty moment from Johnny. I got a good kick out I, of that. I,
1: I thought that was actually very funny, too, because I, I, it, it reminded me of something, especially when we were younger, that we would have done.
0: Yeah, but we have the journal entries of back to May, and then we have this entire section about his friends in Seattle who are both doctors, the couple, and how they help him recover, and he's healthy again, and he has these shiny yellow pills that are just a, a cure-all, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, that is a very convenient pill, but I guess that makes sense as to why he's suddenly able to take on the, the Gdynsk man, when when, for all accounts, he's supposed to be emaciated and just on uh, not uh, sensibly on death's door but then it c- turns out that he's like no I made this all up I spent two hours writing this not to trick you but to trick myself and so none of that happened but then once again to, to jump jump way way ahead because chapter 21 is the end of the Johnny Trone storyline we get the final couple of pages where he's telling a story he was told from his fictional doc friend in Seattle about the baby born with the holes in its brain. And that's that's the end of the story, is the story about the baby with the holes in his brain and the mother spending four days sitting with the baby, not sleeping, not eating, and talking to the baby only for her to finally be, I guess, at peace and tell the baby, you can leave now, and then the baby dies. And uh, as a father, that was just... not uh, Sorry, as a NICU father... That was not fun to read, because I my son was in the NICU for three months, and that was just such a hard time for my wife and I, and it was really stressful. So to, to kind of read that, that, that that hit pretty close to home for me, because we didn't have, uh, we were lucky enough to where our son was developed enough to where the NICU was just there for him to fully mature uh, into full infancy, and we didn't have any problems, and he's a healthy baby, and yay. We're very happy about that. But so we didn't have the issue that this fictional mother had with her baby. But it does. But when you're in that situation, it does create similar fears where every day you're you're worried about getting a phone call or coming in and there being issues. And we were even told from the get go. Don't expect every day to be a good day. Try to prepare for possible bad days but don't but at the same time understand that a bad day does not necessarily mean that something bad is happening so to say
1: mm-hmm. right so
0: to, to round off the points and to not make it so much about me that particular bit the end the of giant Shroom story hit a little close to home for me so that was a very kind of powerful moment for me but to, to get around to the point we have that story from him that he says is from his Doc friends who he already told us earlier didn't exist. So I really do find it hard to take a lot of what Johnny says as fact, even the the band with the I can only assume printed out copy of House of Leaves. Which is a very, very meta moment in the story.
1: It's almost it feels almost too I don't meta. Know. I, I think this is something that, that this could be totally and completely off base, um, so I apologize if anybody more knowledgeable about the history of The House of Leaves uh, is listening to this and is just blanching at it, but I feel like that is almost, because my understanding of the story of The House of Leaves is this version that we're reading, this this um, described as the remastered full color edition. Is not the original edition that kind of made its way around, and that it was something of a a phenomenon in the sort of the art world, the the music world, especially in Los Angeles. Uh, But it was kind of an internet, a little bit of an internet phenomenon, and that is something that we kind of mentioned, I think, back in that first episode uh, when we were talking about Ted the Caver and all that stuff. As Um, as
0: I understand it, this is at the very least the second edition.
1: I, and I, I think that this is probably an addition that comes here. And that it is kind of a, a one last sort of meta textual moment from uh, Danielewski to kind of, um, kind of round off. So I, I'm inclined to believe that within the context of the story, it did happen. But, you know, again, this is... Johnny's stories are a a choose your own reality almost at times. So you know, I, I think there could be more or less truth to it. Um I I I do think it did kind of rub me a little bit the wrong way. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real honest here. When uh, the when Johnny is talking to people who have the copy of the book, um the the first edition, and I think the that it's one thing I would like to understand better is, in, in that conception of reality, how did the book disseminate, did Johnny just disseminate, disseminate it one day and just somehow, like, in a fugue state and somehow forget? I guess my, my question is, how, how did that happen? I'm but,
0: of, I'm of two minds in that particular thing. I think that it's either, A, what you said, where Johnny, without knowing it, because we can't trust him and he can't trust himself, has been releasing all of these sections as he's doing them because, as I understand it, how the book was initially released, or at least teased for its its official release, was it was being released piecemeal on the internet. (laughs) So, my assumption is either Johnny was doing that and not realizing he was doing that, which is very much in the realm of believability, and it does not necessarily have to be stated for it to be true because Johnny is not someone we can rely on to state fact, so it could be that or and I find this one less likely but still possible Uh, while he was traveling to Virginia and keeping his journal logs he put the trunk with the house of leaves in the storage unit that he paid for and when we get to the scene where he's at the bar talking with the band and they're talking about the book together and they're like oh man I wonder if Johnny ever made it to Virginia if he ever found the girl who falls in love with his ironies and all of that it's i wonder if in that in those couple of months of time from him leaving la to him coming back to la someone got into that storage unit found it uploaded it and then put it back like 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 i said this is a little more far-fetched oddly enough this feels a little more far-fetched than the idea of johnny uploading it to the internet and forgetting that he uploaded it to the internet but it still feels a little more far-fetched than that uh, for, uh, it still feels a little more far fetched that somebody broke into his storage unit stole it, uploaded it, and then returned it. But I feel like that's kind of, if we're going to believe that this actually happened, I feel like those are the two possibilities that I've come up with as to how this
1: could have happened. That, um, I think, I think that that could be, I think that it could be that, that kind of hues a little bit close to... Um, I don't know. I don't want to get into this too much because I'm not super knowledgeable about it, but I, this, uh, this was something that I did see while I was reading about things after we completed the, the, the novel. Um, apparently, this had been optioned at one point to be a TV show, right? And um, at one point... One of the plot points... I think I think at the the original conception of the show was it was supposed to take place in present day, so we're not in the time of the Navidson record and all that. It takes place in like the the present day, and there uh, one of the plot points was that there is this company that is being paid by someone or something to cover up the existence of of Navidson, of the house on Ashtree Lane, of everything. So. I mean, obviously, he didn't have that idea at that point. But the, if if we can take the extended world of the novel into uh, into account, maybe that is a thing. Maybe there is a a group of people, some assassins and templars, of, if you'll uh, if you'll forgive the analogy, who are trying to spread knowledge about this the, the house and those that are trying to suppress it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think that's kind of. Um, that is kind of the, uh, I don't know that there's there's either however the the book did end up disseminated in the world of House of Leaves. I, I did I, I just want to say it did rub me the wrong way just a little bit when they were talking and and that um, to the, when he was talking to the band and that guy who was recommending it to Johnny's he like hey man you need to check this out it'll change your life it's like okay Danielewski, coming I mean, come on come on <laughs> like. <laughs> it, it did it did rub me the wrong way a little bit even fictionally writing about his life as being life-changing
0: yeah i i, I do i i i can give a little bit of a pass there because i think it's supposed to be a a, a a joke in the sense that it's johnny's life has been altered very much for the worse because of this book and it, it's really changed oh. his life and then he Finds it in the wild, and the band's just like, Well, read this, it'll change your life. And it's just one of those, it's just one of those ironic moments where it's just like, Oh, yeah, will it, huh?
1: Okay, never mind. I have to rescind my comment. You, you, that, that, um, I think that's, okay. I'm actually on board now. I think that's kind of, that's, that's a pretty nice use of irony that that just totally blew past me.
0: Yeah, I just, I got a good chuckle out of that. That was was pretty funny to me.
1: But yeah, I just, I, I just, um, you know, we talked a lot about er, in the beginning our feelings about Karen, but I and I definitely feel that way, but I Johnny was another character that I just really felt bad for the whole time. It was almost he almost feels like he is destined. And perhaps living in in America, he is kind of destined into the life that he ultimately finds himself into into this sort of homelessness and, and absolute destitution uh, while being beset by, you know, un, the unimaginable terror of, of schizophrenia and, and that kind of – these extreme mental issues, you know?
0: Yeah, which if I could really quickly jump aside here, uh, I feel like yeah, I would be remiss not to bring up some of the assertions that I made in previous episodes and since we are done with the book acknowledge – how I guess to, to not mince words how wrong I was, but to be fair, I think the issue that I was having with both my assertions of is Johnny and Zampano the same person or if they're one of them exists and the other doesn't and uh, about the other one being about the, the physicality of the monster and whether it killed Zampano and whether it slashed Johnny on the back of the neck in the, in the tattoo shop uh i feel like i can safely say that i i was wrong in my theories and my assertions but at the same time mm-hmm. nothing is ever definitively stated one way or the other like the monster the minotaur mm-hmm. is never really given any physical form even when it even when holloway kills himself in exploration 4 It's a shadow that consumes him. He's there and then he's not. And even when Karen is going into the house to save Davidson in Exploration 5, it is just a shadow that encompasses the entire wall that she walks into and then closes taking her and her children's pictures that were on the wall with it. And then in the quote-unquote real world, the only thing we ever really get to suggest that this monster is real are through Johnny's hallucinations and assertions. So we don't really get anything definitive one way or the other. And I guess this was me trying to put, try and find a, some theories that would put a bow and wrap up these storylines in a neat manner. And that's just not the story that was being told here. So it's not me to say that I'm disappointed that I don't get the answers that I that I was asking. ...in the past, or that I don't get a definitive yes or no to my theories. It's just, I feel like I do need to mention that in the book that we have, I think I can say that I was wrong. But we don't ever truly get answers one way or the other. But I think I can safely say that Zapano and Johnny are two separate people and the monster exists but only insofar as it exists through Johnny's psychosis
1: I, I think it's supposed to be well I, I I I shouldn't I shouldn't speak too much about this because I don't really I'm not really trained in psychology or very knowledgeable even but I think what we're supposed to apprehend from both the whale stow letters, um, and his description, the things that he says about his mom is that she was a schizophrenic woman. And I, I, my, my belief is that Johnny inherited that, you know, and I think, I think his, he is not maybe as, uh, it's, it's difficult to tell by the time you get to the ending. Um, but I, I think at the, at least at the beginning he had maybe not had that that um, he he was not as bad off as his mother, um, but as we can kind of see closer to the end he is kind of tipping further and further into and what I what I had in, initially interpreted as um, it was this was happening to him because of the book and maybe it was. maybe it is it's like you said there's never any. One of the great themes of this book is the unanswered and unanswerable question. And I think that's, that's something that we, we can kind of come away with. Like, how much was the, 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 the influence of the book on Johnny uh, to... Can, can we point to that as the genesis of his, um, of his issues? Or is it really more um, the, the development of the onset of the schizophrenia uh, that he had inherited from his mother?
0: Yeah, cuz we can even see in universe through the band that while they are hesitant to talk about the book when he brings it up to them in the first place, they still kind of once they get past that initial hesitation, it's almost kind of like a like rever- reverence and almost jovial kind of attitude towards it like, you know, hey bro, read this it'll change your life. You know, it's a, it's a thing kind of like that, where clearly this band, what they get out of it is ostensibly a song and a conversation, mm-hmm. and their lives obviously aren't impacted by it. And this has now been spread. We can safely assume, at the very least, through the West Coast area.
1: Well, and the band is from the, is from Philly, so
0: yeah but they I, I they were talking about touring through the west coast and them talking oh, to people about fair. it on the west coast and uh, to do a little bit of um external uh, application in the in, from our world is um if if I read right the uh when this book was initially released uh, through the internet it was spreading through the west coast area. Uh, With its initial popularity before the actual novel Mm -hmm. hit shelves. Yeah, that was right. So, granted, we are getting a... We're not getting a direct view of what Johnny got. We are getting his compilation and his thoughts of it, so we're getting it ostensibly secondhand. So maybe that is a difference, but to say that we are reading what Johnny read and not reacting the same way that he did even as we are witnessing his decline I feel like has to at least lend some credence to the idea that there was already a switch that was flipped in Johnny and this book wasn't so much a catalyst more so just another it's essentially oil added to the fire Like he was already, uh, he was already predisposed, and this was just kind of fuel for the fire.
1: You know, uh, something that I'm just thinking about. um, I think schizophrenia often can manifest itself when someone is in their their late teens or twenties. That's oftentimes, you know, in many cases when it will start to manifest. That that is definitely in the realm of where Johnny is in his life. You know, he is. He is described as being in his, I think, like, mid-20s.
0: Um, yeah, I, I will say I, I did minor—I'm no by no means an expert. I did some minor research because um, I, I had a friend who uh, became paranoid schizophrenic in our early 20s, and I watched it happen firsthand. And uh, let me tell you, just as a, as a spectator, just as someone watching it happen to someone else, it's terrifying. So I can't even mm-hmm. begin to imagine what it's like to live through that, and I just you know that's that's a that's a separate story in and of itself. But uh, yeah, so I can I can definitely uh, sympathize since I watched one of my closest friends succumb to it, and it just it ruined his life ostensibly, uh, and that happened to him in his uh, let's see, he would have been twenty one when it happened. Uh, mm-hmm. It it and with the the minor amount of research I did on it it is most likely to manifest in your like late late teens through like mid 20s that's where most people will get it if they're not not most people will get it but where it will start showing for people that have it but it can still manifest at any time it's just if you if 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 you were going to have it and you are like late twenties or thirties, there's a there is a better chance that you are not going to have it. If that makes sense.
1: Sure. It does.
0: But I do think it is possible that we are looking at someone having an absolute I clearly we're watching someone have a, a complete and total mental health deterioration. But I do have to wonder How much of it is because of the book and how much of it is due to genetic or external factors that have already existed and the book either sped along or created a plausible excuse to lean on for.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we don't know too much about Johnny's life before the uh, I mean, we, we see little snippets of his life before the book. It is possible that he was, he had already kind of had begun showing some signs and symptoms. Um, and that this is just like this was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to say, or like it became a fixation that he was, or something that he like that really, I guess, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like it was, it was the trigger for, for like all of this kind of coming apart. Um, but yeah, I think. I don't know personally. I, I would hew a little bit closer to this being um, being his schizophrenia, not to create a um, like a, a a variety of the it was all a dream type ending. But I, I think that as you said, the the fact that other people are reading the book and not having similar uh, effects on them, I, I I would hew closer to. Um, the things that he experienced um, and maybe maybe even some of the store like not even just like the monster stuff but at one point he 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 goes to the to a bar with lude and he meets this woman and she's like this really she's a very strange person very flat affect um, and he she ends up uh, they they find a dog outside the nightclub and and they they they're they're gonna take it or she's gonna take him back to his apartment and um she he's he wants to keep the dog but she she's like well no i i have a house in the backyard and it'll be fine it'll be okay and you know he, i i she should come with me and then he's like oh well okay that, that makes sense and then she as she ends up killing the dog um in a pretty pretty uh gory way like she to take, like, to sh- she runs over its head, right? No, no. Um,
0: so she drops him off at his house. Mm-hmm. And he says goodbye to her and the dog. And then before she even turns the corner, she just chucks it out the window. And it I don't remember if it hits a truck or another vehicle or if it hits a sign or something. But it, it slams into something else, some other object. And it caves its head in. And all Johnny hears is the thunk. And then he goes to investigate, and there he finds the dog, and he holds it until it dies, and then he just leaves it, and then and he puts it on the sidewalk or, or back on the street, and is like, "Well, obviously, the street
1: sweeper it, will get it."
0: Yeah, the street sweeper, the street sweeper will get it. There's nothing I can do, and it's it's almost a kind of nihilistic approach to it, which I found not necessarily out of character, but very like out of the moment. Mhm. Is is very kind of strange thing to have him have such a personal connection to that dog and have a essentially a moment with it where he he feels that the two of them are somewhat kindred spirits. And then upon seeing it dead moments later on the on the street. Maybe maybe this is this is him seeing it in a similar way as to how he views his own life to where the dog is like him, essentially just become trash, left for some machine to take away. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the the takeaway we're supposed to get from it. I don't know, but it is uh, an interesting kind of dichotomy of emotions that he puts on display in the span of what can ostensibly probably be only a few
1: minutes. Speed, my dude, speed running the process of grief. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but. uh yeah I just and then there's also the the very i found very touching moment of him you know going back to finding the the whalestow Institute and then going back into his mother's cell and just spending the night there um you know i I could just you know that was i I really felt for him a lot in that moment i could you know but it, it it doesn't really when it, things like that, between, like all like the 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 dog story, um, the moment with him going back, him having these breaks where he'll like, like lose all sense of of reality and proportionality, like like the the thing with the I don't remember how to say his name, Gdansk man, um, the thing with the dog, the thing with the Gdansk, the. I think. Yes, thank you. Thank you for Thank you, uh, Polish viewers. Please direct all of your opprobrium to me and not Dusty. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, him going to his mother's cell and spending the night there. You know, I just, I think all of the, these are, that, the, the, that's where we're all supposed to, we're, we're supposed to land with Johnny, I think. At least in my, from my perspective, is like the preponderance of evidence. Would have me believe that he is just a very unfortunate soul who has, you know, he has he has um, schizophrenia or some other kind of mental illness, and he is just, you know, because of his station in life, he is not really able to to seek treatment for it, and um, you know, he's he's not he's able to, and and ultimately where we see him is, you know, living. As a, as a like an old time thirties hobo, you know, hopping the rails, um, you know, and I think that's that's uh, that's kind of where where his story kind of ends. It's like I, I hope in the world the of the of the that Johnny one day, you know, he was able to get the help he needed. But it, it definitely it is a very to my mind, even though it is kind of there's kind of like a a moment where he's seeing the sun rise, and he's with this this uh, dog who's being very kind to him. Um, that is kind of a hopeful image, but on the whole, his story feels very uh, downbeat and depressing. And it is kind of like the inverse, if you will, of you, you know you see the Navidson like these two people coming together and overcoming their their personal tragedies, traumas, and mental, you know. Yeah, their mental their illnesses of, of you know and however, they are, um, however they receive them, and and you see by contrast, and, and you you can see that they're um their upper middle or even kind of like wealthy class people, whereas Johnny he's kind of like he's like like I've said, probably a hundred times so far he he lives on the margins, you know he is lives by himself, you know he's he's kicked out of his home he goes to live in a in a, in a flop house that's that's uh, surrounded by other people who he he describes hearing a lot of screaming in the night and stuff they're all probably mentally unwell additionally you know and or maybe going through addiction problems of their own and then we just his just he ends up living on the streets you know being being fully dehumanized and and uh, attacked by you know physically attacked and you know he he mentions that people are not wanting to meet his eye you know it, it's it's a very bleak way to end the story for Johnny and i think i think it's very um i guess i've lost the thread of where i'm going here but i i just i think that's it's it's a very tragic story
0: well here's something that i was wondering So what you're referring to with like him and the dog, that Mm -hmm. is, I don't remember the years, so forgive me, but most of his journal entries are around September or October. Uh, I'm going to guess 1998. But then we get this, this entry that is, it's the only entry, and it's in August of 1999, and this is the one where he finds the band and afterwards he finds the dog and it ends with him saying there's time now plenty of time and somehow i know it's going to be okay it's going to be all right it's going to be all right and then from there we jump back to october of 1998 immediately and i think this is when we get the truth of what or quote unquote the truth of what happened yes this is between uh the uh, Gadinsk man and uh, Kyrie in that mm-hmm. altercation, and then from there that leads to what we end up getting with the eventual story about the the baby with the holes in its brain, so and where we end Johnny's story. So us going from earlier, we went from October, and I think maybe a bit into November, and then we went back to May. And then we make it back to October, November. And then we jump forward to the next August. And then we're back again to that previous October. And that's where we end. Since we already, <laughs> in that same chapter, had the section with him going to his doctor couple friends in Seattle. And then him saying, this was a lie. I wrote all of this in two hours just to make myself feel like I had some hope. Since we have this entire August entry sandwiched in between October entries from the previous year, do you believe that this August entry actually happened? Or do you think that this is another case of his dog friends
1: in Seattle? I'm inclined to believe it happened. Um, and I, I, what, what I would, uh, how I would account for the, the looping back to um to that day because um, that's something that he mentions earlier on in that chapter he's like oh i looked and i didn't even realize that i would written you know i've been writing since uh may or something something like that he he says something like he, he he so he puts in that first entry that first time we're going through october he's like oh i didn't even realize that all this other stuff in here and then he he recounts that and then it we gets goes and goes until we get to the point where we're we're in the August um, portion. I think there's something there's a cyclical nature of his thoughts. He keeps coming back to that time. Um, I think that's why it it's it, it re- reappears. It's because in his brain it is always October 1998, or maybe not always, but. Sometimes it, you know he goes back, he kind of flashes back to it. It's something that's that's really sticks with him that he's not able to fully that that he's he he he's still processing. I guess it's is an, what I would a, say.
0: It's an anchor point.
1: Yeah. Which yeah, um, I would say that.
0: Speaking of anchor points, because th- this is relevant to what I'm about to say. Do you think that there's any form of time travel in this?
1: Um I guess it would partially depend on how you would define time travel. I'm sure there is some aspect of time dilation within the house, um within the hallways. But I I don't know. I I mean not nothing immediately comes to mind when I when I think about the idea of time travel.
0: Yeah. I'm just curious if there are. This is just a this this is a hair brain tinfoil theory here, but with that anchor point in October, specifically surrounding the Cadence uh, Clan assault, I'm wondering if there are, even if they're not actual time branches, like reality time branches, they're mental time branches where you have this flux point in Johnny's mental state surrounding the Gedanksk command and Kyrie, where we have that anchor point of him being attacked and then fighting back against him and then we have the, the branch the branching points where there's the one where he kills him, captures rapes and murders Kyrie. but then we have the other branching point where he lets them go and then we have this third branch point where it. Or Maybe it's still just two points, but we have the one that leads to him encountering the band and finding the house of leaves and finding the dog and him having some sort of morbid sense of hope for the future, despite the fact that you're probably witnessing where the story ends the last couple of months of his life. He probably won't make it to 2,000 if I had to guess, maybe he does. I don't know, maybe he turns around, but we don't we don't have that information so all we're left with is this homeless man deteriorating slowly. But then we have that other branch point where it's back to them, where he lets them go and then we end with the story of his Seattle doctor's friends telling. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much me suggesting that there is two timelines that split off, one where he kills them and one where he lets them go. And we have these two realities surfacing from them. More so this idea that he has, he has created inside of his mind these two branching realities where one happens and the other happens and we are witnessing him playing it out and that's why we have entries going all the way to 1999 but then we immediately cut back to October 98. I don't know, like I said, this is this might just be a harebrained theory that I'm just kind of throwing out there, just trying to create some pseudo-intellectual thought and discourse and discussion on the House of Leagues that makes it more than what it actually is. I don't know, but eh, eh, it's,
1: it's kind of fun, no, think it's fun to think about. No, I think there's something to, to it. I think... I think... Whether or not these are things that are happening in the moment, I think there is. He definitely. We should interpret the the, re, the resurfacing of that date as a, um, like you said, like a very like a very key inflection point in his life, and I think um, while I, I do believe that, um, you know, I, I I choose to believe anyway that he, he he ended up letting them go in the moment. There is a part of him that wanted to destroy the both of them that that be that because of like the like the in the moment like lizard brained i must destroy my enemies kind of situation combined with you know whatever uh, mental mental illnesses ex- he's experiencing and just combined with like the the, the a sense of like ultimate or or you know maybe maybe there is something to the book getting getting to him and I don't know it's just difficult to say but I think that you are you are correct in saying that there that um, that date is a, is a real inflection point and I think it's something that he thinks about a lot and that's why he he writes it in so many times or he he'll he'll go back and he'll recount the events because it's something that that he's always turning over kind of in his mind
0: so I guess one final thing to talk about about the House of Leaves before we uh, we uh, put a bow on it, is the appendixes. I don't think I think I can safely say we don't need to talk about the glossary here, but <laughs> the final what is it, 150, 160 pages of the book are dedicated to the appendix, and you have not gone into this, uh, but I I went into it a little bit and and what i can what i feel like i can safely say is that this is supplemental material that is there for you if you want to kind of get more i don't i don't even want to say more information because what i read of it i don't really feel like i left with answers just kind of more stuff to look at because not a lot here actually feels concrete relevant, if that makes sense. Uh, One thing I found kind of cool, if you have your book handy, it's page 540, is you have uh, you have Zapano going through uh, chapter titles for each chapter, because in the book we only have the Roman numeral number for the chapters. But on this Hmm. page, you have this kind of idea that he had for what the name of the chapter would be. I say Zapano, and chapter 21 is entirely uh Johnny Truant so take that for what you will and there is a chapter 21 and it's called Nightmares but I thought that was kind of fun just a fun little thing but then a lot of it is Zapano's just kind of writings and poems that he's written there's a lot of fun little pictures that you can look at and sketches and drawings and some of them look like the original pages that's kind of cool but then you get bits of it where there is a collection of poems that I don't think are written by Zapano, and they just kind of exist and I looked at it and I was like yeah no I'm good if you want some reference Daniel it starts on page 574 the title page is 573 but they're called the pelican poems and I, I looked at this and I just said no I'm, I'm good. I, I'm not one for poetry, personally. It's not my forte. Uh, more power to you if you're into it. Not for me. And it's just a bunch of poems, and I'm good. I thought the collages were fun. I'm just skimming through and reading this. The obituary for Johnny's father was interesting. Um, but the, the the crux of it here is... Uh, it's section E. It's on page 586, and it's called The Three Attic Whalestow Institute Letters. And this goes on... I'm going to count the pages here real quick. This goes on all the way to page 644. So we are looking at 59 pages um, that are letters that Johnny's mom wrote to him from the Wales toe Institute. Starting from July 28, 1982 going all the way to the day before her death is that right? yeah the day before yeah. her death which was May 3rd 1989 so almost 7 years worth of, of letters and then the final thing we have is the letter that Johnny received on May 5th from the institute talking, uh, letting him know that his mother died so I read more of these than I'd like to admit uh, I, I made it to page 600 and then I was I decided I made it to 1984 and I decided I wanted to see how far this went and I realized this went on another almost 50 pages and I I decided I think I'm okay not reading this because if you skim it Can I
1: hop in just, just, a, just a second? Yeah, go for it. Um, uh, so I, I'm kind of flipping along with what you're saying. One of the letters I, I've uh, I found um, deals with... Uh, it looks like it's a letter from his mother to, or from Johnny's mother to him after he be, you know, the portion of the book where he talks about how he starts getting in fights and stuff. Yes, I know where you're going because I, I did get that far. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that was uh, five forty or five ninety three and five ninety four. I, I think that that is kind of interesting. That does kind of comport with what I was saying earlier. Like a lot of these things that are. Uh, come, to, come to Johnny, because he's she's talking about. Um, you know, you don't really get this this desire to fight from your father or his family. Um, no, you you're getting that from me and my side. And uh, she describes them as you come from a long line of aggressors, <laughs> some valiant, many downright scoundrels. Um, and she she says, uh, you know, des- describing um, even. Yeah, she's talking about. Um, your current lust for physical engagement is this is the result of this questionable genetic bequeathal um so I think I don't know i i, I just wanted to pop in and we'll just one last time and just hit that like one i think I think if there's anything that we're supposed to pull from these this is just me looking at one, but I, I, it feels like these are just kind of like giving you background about if there's anything to be mined from these it's it's why is Johnny the way he is? Yeah, and kind you, of thing.
0: If you jump ahead to it's, let me see where it starts. Um, I, I'm. This is purely going off of just looking at the page and not reading the page to see where this starts. Um, there is. A, uh, it starts to happen where she signs her letters as either mom or mommy, but there is a time where she starts signing it as P. I didn't read it, so I don't <laughs> know what that means. But if you look starting that's, somewhere, th- around, I think
1: that's her name. It's. It starts with a P.
0: Uh, that that actually could be it. So I, I didn't go deep into this. But it's around page 623. You start seeing it starts to devolve pretty badly. And it seems like it's written by someone who's manic schizophrenic. Uh, well, that might be assumptions on my part. Someone who's manic and not mentally unwell. We'll just say it that way. And it just really starts to just devolve. And it's just what you would expect from House of Leaves. Uh, and that all leads up to her final letter where she's talking about leaving, and then ends up she hung herself. Uh, so, thoughts about that. That is what I would say is the bulk of the appendixes in the exhibits is the um, the Whalestow Institute letters. Uh, I looked into it. It is a novella that Danielewski wrote that he released as a sort of companion to House of Leaves, and, is in, and has been included since the second edition of the novel. But the novella that you can get by itself has more letters in it than the House of Leaves version does. I personally, this is my, my personal opinion, I do not think it is required reading for House of Leaves itself. I don't care to read 50 pages worth of letters. I'm sorry, that's my thoughts on it. Since it was not included in the first edition of House of Leaves, I do not consider it to be part of House of Leaves itself. Hence why you have the book called House of Leaves which is by Zapano with introduction and notes by Johnny Truant. That's where the book starts. The book is the and Record and then from there you get the exhibits which are granted from Zapano and you have the appendixes and all that, all that fun stuff. I don't think it is necessarily required to say you have read House of Leaves. My personal opinion This is my opinion, someone might disagree with me, is House of Leaves ends on page 528. Everything after that is there for you if you want more. And that's how I feel the appendixes for House of Leaves functions as well. And there's nothing really of major note except for the the Whale's Toe letters. And that exists purely for more context on Johnny Shrun's relationship with his mother, which is not relevant to the novel itself. So with that, to, to have that long-winded thing come to a conclusion. But, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on the appendix and the the, 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 the appendix and the exhibits. So, Daniel, it's there if you want. If you don't ever go through it, I still would say you finished House of Leaves. Those are my thoughts on that to, to wrap up the appendixes, because I know you can't really speak too much on it outside of just the bare skinning that you've done. So I would not fault anybody for stopping at the end of the Davidson Record at the end of Chapter 23 and calling it a day. Because you've gotten the story, you've gotten all the information, you can read some poems if you want, but I don't think your understanding of Zapano, John Truman, or the House of Leaves as a whole is going to be greatly impacted more through it. It's just supplemental material, like I said.
1: Yeah, I, that's something that I'll probably, I probably plan to to look at. I mean, at, at my leisure, um, I do want to, I do want to get everything that this, this book does have to offer, because I, I just, I have a lot of respect for, not saying that anybody that doesn't, doesn't necessarily have it, but I just, I really, I think that this book is, um, with, with some of my, you know, qualifications and stuff, I, I do think it is quite an achievement. I have enjoyed it, um. But I, 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 yeah, I, I do plan on, on reading it sometime. But I don't know that we're gonna uh, be discussing those in great detail um, moving forward. Um, but you know, like like we said, we said that next time that we would we would uh, meet and record that it would be we would have everything from the Navidson record uh, completed. So you know, promises made, promises kept. I think we, I think that's uh, we are gonna go ahead and wrap here on. Uh, on the book of House of Leaves.
0: Yeah, Daniel, do you have any final thoughts for House of Leaves?
1: Um, to I, I would just say, that I, I think it, it's a, it's a very good book. Um, I, I it's it's definitely not for everyone, and if I if I could go back, this is going to sound contradictory, but just just hear me out. I would not have chosen this book necessarily for our first uh, our first jaunt out. Um, because I think that for someone that has a little bit more, they're, they're, they're more, like, they have either more experience or are, like, freshly in the world of, of literary analysis, they definitely could have pulled a lot more out of this book, certainly than I did. Um, I think we did a pretty good job. I think we got a lot of it, but I, I I can't help but feel walking away that there is more to be gleaned here, and you know, I I wouldn't mind, you know, going back and reading it again at some point. You know, once once I, I rebuild my uh, my reading stamina and my um, ability to critically analyze or or just do any kind of literary analysis on on a text.
0: Yeah, and I definitely feel like we we had a very abridged analysis of the book as a whole because. You know, I, I think I've said this before in the past that we could we could talk about this for hours and we had the first episode the first the first three episodes actually all three of the previous right. episodes I this was purely coincidental and I talked to you about this and this actually was going to continue coincidentally enough if we would have recorded last week which we didn't record last week because you had technical difficulties that kept you from being able to record so we just pushed it back and we, we became a bi-weekly podcast once again with it with this episode <laughs> being episode four. Um, but we were covering four chapters per episode, which was not planned. Like I said, it was completely coincidental. And if we would have recorded episode four last week, we would have covered chapters 12 through 16. No, I'm sorry. 13 through 16. Uh, and it would have kept that trend going. And I thought that was really funny, but with four chapters a piece, we, we talked for six hours about this book and even then, we left each episode talking about it after we stopped recording, that there was more that we could have talked about, there were things we didn't touch on and I still feel that way right now like we didn't even talk about Lude's death even a little bit today which we could, but I don't think it's super necessary Um, but my point being is that this still feels like an abridged analysis, there's still so much we could talk about there's so much more we could go into but I don't necessarily feel like it would add to or enhance our analysis or the podcast as a whole if we did spend another two three four five hours talking about this book i think we've we've touched on all of the major points uh how we feel about it uh how we interpreted it and how it kind of exists in our mindscape so i don't think i think anything else is just bonus at this point i think we've touched it well enough and i am personally ready to put a bow on it here uh, and move on to our next novel, which I won't say you will you will see for yourself, uh, dear viewer, if you are listening. Uh, in the present tense and not coming back and watching this in the past for some weird reason, you will see what that is when it releases, when episode 5 releases in a week or two, depending on our very fluctuating schedule.
1: And I'm really excited yeah, for I'm- that. I, I'm quite excited. I think, I think this is going to be this next one. If I could just pull back the curtain just a little bit, but not give it anything away. I think it's going to be a pretty big change of pace. Um, both in terms of like the, 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 the novel itself and, you know, potentially how, what, you know, I don't know that it'll, you know, there might be some changes also in the general shape, but, um, of how, of our discussions, but, uh, you know, either way, I'm I'm very excited uh, for the next book, and uh, I don't know. I think I think we're, we're all gonna enjoy it quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So if I had to say one last thing about House of Leaves, I would not recommend it unless you know what you're getting into. Unless you know what this book presents, at least formatically. If that that's I don't think that's a word, but I'll roll with that. Not so much the plot wise, uh, how 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 it goes with the plot. You don't need to know too much. But if you just understand how this book works, what you're getting into, and understand that it may not always be the most engaging or interesting read, if you're understanding that, and you're okay with that, then I would recommend this book to you. If any of that sounds like it might be daunting or boring or uninteresting, it really kind of comes down to your preference and i don't think this is a book that you should be ashamed about dnfing.
1: No, i i like i said i let like before this this is my second crack at the book. The first time i didn't finish. Um yeah, like i've said in the earlier episodes, i got to about maybe where we were in the second episode if i had to guess. Um but yeah, this is definitely my second crack at it. So i i think it's it's something that's you know, you might not be ready for it now or you know you, it's something that you should you should approach when you feel that you're ready for it instead of just necessarily reading it like oh it is considered a really good book from you know one of the better 21st century books so i i need to read it I, I would say read it when you feel like you're ready for it
0: yeah which i i do want to say really quickly i find it funny that we're talking we're we're saying this as if we are speaking to somebody as a means to try and recommend or don't recommend the book for them to read in a podcast where we have spoken about the book at length with full spoilers. So if somebody has not read this book, has listened to all four episodes of this podcast with us spoiling it and discussing it, and then is like, yeah, I want to read this book. They're kind of going into it already having a really broad generalization of what they're getting into and what's going to be inside of this book content-wise. So I just find that kind of funny. That's like, I would not recommend this to you unless, after spoken about it for eight hours on
1: the plot well you know some people some people aren't so sensitive about spoiler stuff you know and for some people I think I think honestly the things that we've said might make or break you know how someone might like someone someone there's some difficult stuff in here that we've touched on and if that's not your not your bag maybe you know you're you you know give it a miss you know that kind of stuff I, I think I think some people that you know for some people it's not as big a deal
0: yeah, but, yeah, final words on it, this was a great book. This was a masterclass in writing. I think Danielewski did a great job. I think he's a phenomenal writer. I think he wrote in a very enthralling story, despite me having a lot of issues with a lot of parts of it. I'm coming off very positive at the end of the day, despite me giving it a 7 out of 10. That is very strong 7 for me. I am glad we read this. I am also glad to be done with it.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's fair.
0: Yeah, I think that uh I think that uh does it for us though today. I think uh we have we have drained as much blood from this rock as we can.
1: <laughs> yep, sounds about right. Well, Thank you everyone for uh, for for listening and we look very forward to seeing you guys next time. Yep, with a new book uh, and a new lease on life. <laughs> Stay tuned.